This is Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning and welcome to the last Talkback Gardening of January 2023. Already, good morning, John Lamb. Good morning, Deb. Good morning, gardeners. How did you cope with last night's warm temperatures? Deb? I actually had the fan on all night, which is something I very, very rarely do. Would you believe, out in the garden, it was groundhog night for spiders. Would you believe, I think, every moth and every flying insect that flies at night time was out last night, enjoying the lovely warm temperatures. The smarties are the spiders, and they realised there's just a plethora of food out there. I went out this morning to talk to the dogs fairly early, and would you believe there were little spider webs everywhere, and I showed you one of the spiders. Oh, yes, and I have to say, it was pretty hairy and colourful, and if Chris Messenger was here from Bugs and Slugs, she would know exactly what it is, but one to avoid, I'd say. Would you believe it was had in its mouth... Uh, a moth, but I couldn't see. Oh, I presume it was a moth, but because he he, he was, uh, I won't say upside down. He was downside up, and also uh, he backside to me. So I got a photo of it, but I couldn't figure out what he was munching or what she. I'm sure it was probably it's female ones will be out there making the webs, and I presume it's the female ones and uh, getting lots of food before they procreate. Anyway, it's a fascinating little world out there. But it's good to be aware of that when you're in the garden at the moment. Yes, yeah, and that's right. And if you've got a nice, lots of spiders in your garden, I think it means that you're a, a good gardener. And nice and healthy. Well, we've got a couple of very special guests this morning, John. Yes, many people at this time after their fruit has harvested it walk away from the fruit trees and say, righto, ho-hum, they can look after themselves. There are still 12 to 14 weeks of growing season there and perhaps now is not the time to abandon your fruit trees after harvest. We'll talk very shortly to John Stevens, horticulturalist, fruit grower, member of the Rare Fruit Society, and he'll take a look at what's going on from a plant's point of view. What are the plants doing for over the next 10 to 12 weeks and how you can be in harmony with that? Then, later in the half, uh, the last half hour, Brett Draper, uh, from um, manager of one of our major gardener centres, and he'll take a look at wow plants, getting a little bit of colour out there. And Brett's got the tough job of only having one plant, a wow plant for the sun and a wow plant for the shade. How lovely. And I've got a couple of uh, ABC Gardening Australia January editions to give away. The last ones we've got as well, so stay tuned for that a little bit later on. But we want your gardening questions. In particular, right now, we'd like your fruit tree questions for John Stevens and John Lamb. If you've got one, please call in on 1300 222 If you've got a comment to make, rather than a question to ask, we'd love to receive that on 0467 922 Home gardeners really love growing their and harvesting their own fresh fruit. And uh, there's a great deal of information about how to look after your plants and manage them from the time uh, they burst open with new growth in springtime to the time they produce their harvest. Then there's a dearth of information. And it's what happens after harvest is pretty important. And someone who's very much aware of that is John Stevens. He's a horticulturalist, a very long-time fruit consultant, a member, a long-time member of the Rare Fruit Society. It's good morning to you, John Stevens. Good morning, John, and good morning, Deb, and good morning, listeners. So let's take a look at the situation from a, from the fruit tree's point of view. What's the fruit tree actually doing? What are the functions it's got to carry out after harvest? Well, look, you're absolutely right. A lot of people forget once the fruit's been picked, uh, the tree uh, sometimes gets neglected. But it's very important to keep up uh, the water supply uh, because those trees uh, still have to keep growing. They've got several months yet before they uh, lose their leaves and they have to build up their energy for the coming year. And uh, so it's very important. And also keep up the mulch. Uh, and also uh, what I uh, like to do is give the fruit trees a good feed after you pick the fruit. 
Could I stop you there and we'll drill down into some of those issues? Now, you mentioned, okay, the tree is still growing, it's got to grow and it's got to produce leaves. But in terms of what's happening uh, in the buds and, and, and the formation of next season's buds, what's happening there? Yeah, well, that's, that's exactly right. Once the current crop is picked uh, or shed, uh, the tree has to start developing new fruiting buds for the coming year. Now, obviously, if the tree is neglected, uh, you're very likely to affect uh, the crop for the coming year. So it's really important to help the tree build up its energy so that it can produce a, a really good crop of fruit next year. Well, you mentioned uh, two elements that are essential. One is water and one is fertiliser. First of all, water. Okay, so just before harvest, uh, you pile on the water because the, the fruit are maturing and they suck up a lot of moisture. But after harvest, they don't have fruit to look after. Uh, what quantity of water would, would a, say, a mature uh, stone fruit tree need and how often? It depends on the soil, of course, but uh, I like to make sure I keep up the water to my uh, trees uh, pretty well the same as I've done right through uh, summer. But this time it's for a different reason. As you say, they uh, use all their water and energy to produce a good crop of fruit. But uh, as mentioned earlier, they have to start building the strength of the tree and developing new buds for the coming year. If you neglect the water, uh, then uh, the development of fruit buds will be affected and the overall health of the tree. And, and let's face it, a, a good healthy tree that's well watered um, will provide a really good crop next year. So that means watering, mulch and feeding. Okay. I like to feed Let's, let's stop, stop you there, John. You're mentioning water, and I want to know how much water does John Stevens put on his fruit trees in his garden? Uh, I give uh, all of the trees, because I have a sandy soil uh, base, uh, I use uh, uh, quite a decent uh, soaking uh, at least twice a week. Uh, but this will depend on the weather. If we have some really hot weather, uh, I'm inclined to give the trees a bit of extra water. And we're talking here of uh, quite a few litres, uh, you know, 10 or more litres uh, for a good soak. Uh, but uh, again, uh, we get hot winds and that sort of thing. So uh, uh, it depends a little bit, but certainly make sure that the uh, soil is not bone dry. You can get a soil meter and, and check the moisture level or you can... Uh, dig uh, down a little bit with a trowel if you're really unsure, but uh, I use the water meter. Yeah, okay. So how deep, how far down do you need to uh, make, make sure the water soaks to make sure that the roots have got enough moisture? I, I, I tend to work on uh, about 400 uh, millimetres. And in my case, I've actually uh, put in holes uh, three uh, around each tree, uh, spaced out about uh, 800 to mil to a, a metre from the tree, equally spaced. And uh, I use that uh, irrigation pipe that you can buy with slots in it. And uh, I got three of those around each tree. And we fill those up uh, about uh, once every couple of weeks fascinating. We're talking with John Stevens, horticulturalist and a long-time fruit consultant, about the tree, the fruit trees and their needs after harvest. And uh, I'd like to think, Deb, we might get some questions soon. We have got some fruit tree questions. If you have one, call in now on 1300 222 Vicky from Happy Valley certainly does. And it sounds like you're not getting much fruit at all, Vicky, from your peach tree. Yes, that's the case. I um, was given a, a runner from a friend's peach tree and I've had it in a container for about three years. Lots of leaves, but no fruit. Um, I have been shaping it now and again and I'm just wondering if I'm trimming off um, buds or if I'm lacking something in the fertiliser or soil area. Before uh, uh, John answers that, Vicky, how old is the tree? That just gives him a... Um, the the runner itself in the pot is three years. It's been in this pot for three years. 
and I don't know how old the original tree is. Okay, John, would you care to comment? Uh, I'm not sure what's meant by a, a runner, whether um, the lady means a cutting or, or not, but certainly most regular fruit trees, uh, particularly peaches that you buy in the, your nursery outlet, uh, will not get a decent crop of fruit. Um, it varies a bit uh, for about six or seven years. They might get a few fruit uh, within the first couple of years, but uh, certainly the tree is possibly a bit too young yet to have fruit. So, Vicky, are you able to okay. just uh, clarify what you mean by a runner? Um, it was... Uh, well, just bought along in a pot, saying uh, this came. This is a runner off my tree, so I didn't actually see the tree. I was thinking it might have grown out of the ground or grown yeah. out of. I suspect. Roots I, and yeah, everything. I suspect it was a sucker, which means it's coming off the okay, root, that would root be, system. Yeah. yeah, so I think you're yeah. pretty well spot on there, John. In, in terms of uh, okay, they take a while to settle down, and they're busy growing rather than setting fruit. Um, in terms of nutrition, how do you treat a tree so that you don't overstimulate it with fertiliser while it is trying to settle down? Yeah, I think the, the important thing is uh, when you plant a new tree, uh, the same with uh, uh, roses and a number of other things, uh, be very careful not to overfeed it. And particularly with nitrogen fertilisers like these um, uh, fertilizer pellets, uh, the organic ones, you know, Neutrog, Dynamic Lifter, that sort of thing. Uh, they're very good, but they're very high in nitrogen. And if you uh, use too much nitrogen on uh, a new tree or shrub, you're likely to get a lot of uh, foliage and leaf growth. Uh, and there's two things wrong with that. It'll be very soft growth and it'll be uh, subjected to uh, heat stress and, and even burning. And the other thing is that uh, you're likely to, in many cases, if you use too, too much nitrogen, get plenty of leaves and not that much fruit. Okay. Well, look, Vicky from Happy Valley, I hope that uh, is good advice for you. We're going to another Vicky now in Kensington Park, this time to an apricot tree. What's wrong with your apricot tree, Vicky? Um, well, John did talk about it a little bit during the year. Um, I uh, developed a few... Uh, weeping uh, sections which I think might be gumnosis and when I started pruning it because um, I think I'm supposed to prune it after it's finished uh, fruiting um, I noticed that some of the bigger branches have also weeped and what I'm unsure about is I've, I've been told that gumnosis can kill the tree and so I should should I completely take that branch off where the gumnosis is or treat it in some other way. All right. And Again, for clarification, that gumming, is it coming out of the bark, just out of splits in the bark, or are you actually getting dieback on the branches? Uh, no, there wasn't any dieback on the branch, no. All right. Uh, there we are, John. There's an interesting one for you. <laughs> well, apricot trees are an interesting uh, thing, as, uh, as you know, um, Gummosis is a bacterial disease, and it's, uh, in theory, it can affect any stone fruits. But my experience is uh, that, generally speaking, uh, apricots are the biggest sufferers. Now, one of the things that uh, transpired in recent years is uh, to try and keep pruning of apricot trees to a minimum. And if you do need to prune them, and this is going to surprise you, do it in the middle of summer when it's really hot. And the reason for that is uh, uh, the, the cuts dry uh, quickly and then paint the cuts. Because in the middle of winter, the uh, gamosis uh, spores uh, are in the atmosphere and you can get an infection quite easily. And uh, the other thing is that not always uh, when gum oozes out of the tree is it necessarily gamosis. Sometimes if trees put on a really vigorous spurt, uh, they can get a bit of leakage, if you like, uh, of sap, which uh, is not necessarily gummosis. Gummosis, from my experience, usually shows up when the branches start dying back. And uh, gummosis or trees with gummosis can survive for a number of years, uh, but will have a shortened life. 
so uh, there's a couple of things at play there. I, I've had two apricot trees. One of them got gamosis, and I managed to prolong its life for a while by keeping the dead branches cut off. But ultimately, it succumbed, and I put a new uh, apricot tree in. The new apricot tree I was when I started doing little or no pruning, and if I did, I did it in the middle of summer. Say, a day like yesterday would have been a, a good day to cut back branches on an apricot tree because uh, the cuts dry very quickly, and then put a, a bit of water-based paint on to stop the spores getting in. Okay, well, I hope that helps you, Vicky. Thank you very much for the call. Maria in Glenelg North. Now, you want to know about grafted fruit trees. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Um, I'm about to sacrifice a bit of my lawn and put in a couple of fruit trees, so that leads me down the winding path of what am I going to put in there? Um, And so, of course, I'm greedy, and I'm thinking, is it possible to put in, for example, a mandarin and a tangelo grafted together and or two plants in the one hole whatever works best and then similar maybe a stone fruit with a couple on the same in the same spot and so that I can get lots of different fruit another interesting one Good. I'm glad it's of, uh, it's not a straightforward yes or no yeah have we got you there John yes yep okay. um, Look, uh, I have to be honest, I'm not in favour of uh, uh, multi-grafted trees, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I had uh, a fairly old multi-grafted apple tree with three varieties on it, one of which was Granny Smith, and the Granny Smith apple was far more vigorous than the other two, and I had to constantly keep cutting it back all through the year because it was taking all the nourishment, and the other two varieties of apple weren't uh, prospering. Uh, my suggestion would be it'd be better off to make use of the space by growing dwarf trees. You can now get uh, dwarf uh, uh, fruit trees in, in most things, both citrus and stone fruit. Uh, but um, yeah, the short answer is, uh, sorry to say, I'm, I'm not a fan from personal experience of multi-grafted trees. John Stevens, thank you for saying that because I've been saying that for quite some time. Uh, so multi-grafts, probably not a good idea. The other concept is, say, putting two varieties, or two varieties of the same uh, species, in other words, two apples in the same hole. Uh, would you uh, condone that one or is, does that give you problems? No, actually, I, I haven't done it, but I know people that do. And uh, yes, it it appears to be uh, a practice that, that works quite well because uh, the trees uh, will grow their own way and they're not competing uh, in terms of the same uh, food supply with each other, but they will sort of compete to some extent. But they, they have their own root system and this will have the effect of dwarfing the group of trees. Um, so I would think that would be a better alternative than multi-grafting. And probably going back to your previous comment that some varieties are more vigorous than others. So if you're going to put two uh, apples together, uh, two apples of the same kind of vigor uh, would be, I think, a good idea rather than have one vigorous and one sort of uh, not so vigorous. Deb. Thanks for the call, Maria. Very interesting indeed. We'll come back to more of your calls in just a moment. Our special guest this morning is John Stevens, horticulturalist and member of the Rare Fruit Society. Our phone number is 1300 222 Text line. 0467922891 This is Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Horticulturalist and uh, fruit consultant John Stevens is our guest this morning talking about why you shouldn't abandon your fruit trees simply because the trees have been harvested. And uh, John has talked very much about uh, the fact that there's still a number of weeks, probably a couple of months of growth, and it's important for the tree to have time to uh, uh, grow, to build up the buds anyway for next season, and you do that with good watering, good fertilising. John, 
the area I would also like you to comment on is summer pruning. And we've already had questions on uh, on, on the cutting it back. And uh, you very wisely sort of said, OK, if you've got gambosis, um, prune it in summer, not in winter, because that's when all the spores are floating around and you're likely to get gamosas. So we come back to the fact that the, the fruit has been harvested in, in the end of January. Uh, is it uh, a good time to cut back your apricots in, in, say, in February? And then let's also expand that into why summer prune. Yeah, look, uh, John's absolutely right. Um, severe winter pruning originated in northern Europe where the climate is much harsher and uh, trees were cut back um, uh, very severely. And the same with roses, uh, because what would happen is a lot of the new growth would get severely damaged in spring. In our Mediterranean climate, it's a lot different. Uh, What happens is, uh, and I've experimented with this for years, uh, is traditional European-style pruning of cutting back hard in winter uh, can be quite harmful. And the reason for this is in uh, we often get very uh, hot weather uh, early in the season, say October or even late September, depending on the season. And what happens is you have all this new soft growth that's quite extensive, and then it gets uh, severely burnt by the summer heat uh, early heat, and then the tree sort of gets a setback. Now, I have found that if you can uh, prune the trees in uh, summer, straight after you've harvested the crop, uh, they will still keep growing, but they'll tend to become more bushy, and it helps dwarf the trees a little bit, uh, but it means that by the time they uh, develop in spring, they don't have such uh, a huge amount of sappy long growth but they tend to be more compact and and it seems to me uh, there's two values here it's easier to manage a, a more compact tree but also you avoid that early burning in the season many people are concerned that their trees grow too tall and they can't harvest it the birds get what's up at the top and uh, I think what you're suggesting is that uh, by summer pruning, uh, you can reduce the height of your tree. And, and uh, if it, it becomes more compact, it, it, it stays as a smaller tree. Uh, is that correct? Yes, yeah, it does have that effect. And, and the other thing is, I suppose it's relevant to mention here, I tend to treat my um, trees more like large shrubs because I've also found that, um, for example, uh, the open plan idea of fruit trees was great for a while, but I found that uh, it got severe uh, sunburn damage on the tree bark and also often uh, severe sun damage to fruit. By growing my trees uh, for the last 20 years uh, more like uh, compact uh, shrubs, uh, averaging about three metres, that's the normal size ones. Uh, but I've also put in a lot of dwarf trees. But if you can keep the trees compact, it reduces the sun damage and uh, the tree seems to me to be healthier, but the fruit still ripens quite well because, believe me, with today's climate change, enough light gets into the tree uh, to ripen the fruit. John, that's very interesting. And harking back to last week, we were talking about uh, integrating your fruit and vegetable garden in with the rest of the garden. And so uh, many people don't put their fruit trees in the rest of the garden because you have this rather unattractive vase shape. And you're suggesting that it would be much better if they have a more compact shape. And presumably that would allow you to have your fruit trees uh, growing in amongst the rest of the ornamentals. And, and that's exactly true. As, as an organic gardener, that this is something that I'm a great believer in uh, anyway, that uh, my fruit trees are surrounded by shrubs and flowers, and uh, there's no clear definition between the fruit area uh, because I want to uh, attract beneficial insects anyway. So there's flowers and shrubs and everything growing amongst the uh, fruit trees. What I do try to do is leave enough room uh, 
for a human being to walk around the tree <laughs> and pick the fruit and also to put nets on the tr some of the trees. Um, but other than that, uh, the garden looks more like, a, I suppose, an expanded cottage garden because I believe that you've got to encourage all the uh, pollinators and the beneficial insects. John, great advice. John Stevens, horticulturalist and member of the Rare Fruit Society, is our guest. We've got a lot of questions for you, John, so I'm going to try and race through as many as we can. Marco from Kilkenny, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I have a five-year-old Satsuma plum tree that's about 20 metres away from a roughly 50-year-old Satsuma plum. One's meant to replace the other. Um, I've yet to see a flower on the five-year-old plum tree. So I'm wondering if I'm doing something wrong. Uh, it, it's, it's hard to say, but it's possible that the tree has not yet uh, reached uh, a, a reasonable fruiting age. I've, I've, got, I've always grown Satsuma uh, plum trees because I, I like them, but uh, it's possible your tree is not quite old enough yet. Make sure you keep up the feeding. I'd, I'd use... Um, uh, some potassium sulfate or uh, if you're using uh, liquid fertilizer, one, one that uh, says it's for fruiting and flower development. Uh, and you could, if the tree's got a lot of sappy growth on it, you could cut that back a little bit uh, and the tree will otherwise, sometimes tree, young trees will put a lot of growth into growing huge, long, sappy stems but I've got a Satsuma tree and I keep it quite compact uh, and it produces huge crops of the trees, uh, fruit, I should say. Yeah, well, Marco, hopefully you'll see some flowers. Hope it's a matter of age there. Thank you for the call. Ian in Angerston, you would like to uh, some advice on pruning which sort of stone fruit? Um, well, all types, really. Um, I have peach, nectarine, apricot up here and um, uh, they're all about 10 years plus uh, in ground trees. Um, what happened last winter, as you'd be aware, is uh, it was such a wet winter that it was very difficult to control curl leaf and they just about demolished my uh, trees. However, they have recovered and uh, they've got a lot of new shoots on that'll be one or two foot long and uh, they're very luxurious and uh, disease-free at the moment. But I'm just wondering about the, the pruning of these trees that, in this situation. Um, yeah, well, what happens uh, there, and I've had the same thing happen uh, with a new peach tree I put in. Uh, I did spray it, but we had so much rain uh, that uh, I, I couldn't keep up with it as fast as I sprayed. I use an organic spray. There's, there's a leaf curl spray that's available over the counter. You can also uh, use one of the organic copper sprays. Uh, but uh, what happens is uh, the tree loses a lot of energy uh, when the leaf curl is really bad and the leaves fall off and you sometimes get dieback too. But then later on, uh, it'll put on all this soft new growth, but it means it's missed the flowering period. Uh, and also the weather can affect the flowering. Uh, what I would do is if the uh, growth starts to get uh, really long and sappy, I would tend to shorten it back. And next year, uh, what you need to do is spray the tree with uh, one of the copper sprays or specific leaf curl spray and spray it as soon as you see what they call pink bud. So when you see the buds and they're just starting to open and they're slightly pink, uh, that's the time to spray it. And it's usually a good idea to follow up with a, a second spray uh, a week or so later. Uh, the other thing is there are now a couple of uh, peach trees out that are resistant to leaf curl. Okay, thank you very much, Ian, for the call. Trevor in Broken Hill has peach moth in his peach tree. Hi, Trevor. How are you going? Not too bad, thanks. I got uh, two peach trees. One's a uh, HA hail, which had to take all the fruit off because there's little black bugs going inside the fruit. So I had to put them in a plastic bag and 
and throw them in the bin. Another piece three is a, uh, I can't remember what it's called, and that's really run really well. So what, what do I spray it with? Well, if the problem, is, uh, it sounds like it could be uh, caterpillars, there's a, there's a range of small moths which produce tiny little caterpillars. And uh, I've had outbreaks of those uh, this year. Now, two things can happen. You can uh, go around and blast them off uh, with the hose, or if the tree's a bit larger and you really want to use something, there are now organic insect sprays available, uh, or you can uh, use Dipel, which is uh, a natural bacteria that specifically kills caterpillars. I don't use that myself, but you can do. It's officially acknowledged as organic. But the problem is it's it's non-selective. So if you want butterflies in the garden, which I do, you know, native butterflies, then the dipel will kill caterpillars of all uh, butterflies and, and moths. John, on um, that one, just coming back to uh, the value maybe of an oil spray during winter. Yeah, that's that, that's true. Yeah, you could also use an oil spray in winter. But caterpillars have been very bad this year. In in my garden, uh, most of the time the caterpillars are cleaned up by beneficial insects and uh, birds. Um, and the other thing is you can now get exclusion netting, which has very fine mesh, and you can cover plants with that to keep caterpillars uh, or, or at least keep the moths and butterflies off. Thank you, Trevor. We'll take two last calls because we've kept John Stevens on the line a bit longer than expected. Karen is in Norlunga Downs, and you've got problems with your lemons, Karen. Yes, I have. Um, I've got a lemon tree. It's a mild lemon, and it's a dwarf type. Now, it would be about seven years old, and unfortunately, about five years ago, my husband was very ill, and he hacked my amazing lemon tree down to about six inches tall. Um, and it's never really recovered. So it's grown to maybe a foot, but it hasn't done anything else. And I've been trying lots of different things, and it's kind of sad. So I'd like to keep it alive. I don't know. I did move it from the back to the front because it was in a pot, Um, and I have an evergreen tree out the front, thanks to the council, um, that shades it quite a bit in summer so I don't know if that's a problem Right, well uh, there's a number of issues there and um, I uh, uh, think that there's a possibility without seeing it of course that sadly the tree was cut off below the graft level uh, which means that um, you're not going to get proper lemons anyway the second thing is and I hope I'm not upsetting anybody here I'm not a great fan of Maya lemons because uh, um, a Maya lemon is a cross between a lemon and an orange, and um, uh, they're not uh, sweet enough to be enjoyed the way you would an orange, and they're not uh, lemony enough to enjoy a lemon. Um, And the other thing that you mentioned is uh, citrus trees need to be in full sun uh, sunlight. If they're in shade, uh, then they're not going to prosper. My honest opinion is that you would be better off perhaps taking the uh, Maya lemon out because you can now buy dwarf lemon trees uh, on a grafted uh, dwarf rootstock. If you're not sure about it, read the label and the dwarf rootstock is called Flying Dragon and you can get dwarf uh, uh, lemon trees, Lisbon and Eureka. Uh, I've got a dwarf Eureka in a pot at the moment but I've uh, also got uh, um, a dwarf uh, Lisbon lemon. Uh, and, and the dwarf citrus trees only grow to about three metres high maximum uh, and maybe three metres across. But also don't forget, uh, you can treat lemon or any citrus trees like shrubs and you can uh, 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 cut them back, I do with mine, uh, with a light trim regularly to keep them compact anyway, if you want to. Deb, it's very obvious that uh, John is a, a lemon lover. Yes. And uh, for those that love their mild lemons, please don't send in too many texts. Yeah. <laughs> Karen, thanks for the call. Finally, last call before we let John Stevens go is about lychees. Julian Marion, good morning. Julia, I should say. Yes, good morning. 
Good morning, John. Good morning. Look, I have a belichi tree that has grown from the seed. It's about three foot tall. Leaves are burnt a little from the sun. Not all of them, just some. When when can I expect fruit, or will it fruit at all? Well, it's hard to say. If it was grown from a seed, uh, it's possible you may not get much of the crop, but... uh, a lot of tropical trees like like lychees and that sort of thing, uh, we can get away with growing in South Australia uh, or, in fact, in any Mediterranean climate. The only thing is, um, the sad news is, it might be up to eight years before it has any fruit on it. Uh, if you really wanted to have a lychee, it's better off to buy a grafted tree, um, which will fruit in uh, three or four years. But the other thing is they are a tropical tree and uh, they will grow in South Australia, but they need to be in a sheltered, protected spot uh, away from the hot north winds uh, or, for that matter, very cold southerly winds. Uh, So, um, yeah, the short answer is they're better off if you can get a grafted one if you really want one and also grow it in a sheltered spot and they like a good, uh, rich soil. John Stevens, such Wonderful information, and uh, it's beautiful having somebody like yourself just sharing your information. It's what I call good, sound, reliable gardening information. And the fact that we've had so many questions and keeping you for so long, I think, is a reflection of that. So look forward to maybe in the near future continuing our discussion, John Stevens. Yes, okay. It's my pleasure. Uh, I, I like sort of helping people out people out if I can. Oh, uh, before, sorry, John, just before you go, I, I, I meant to say, you are on radio, of course, down Victor Harbour Way. Just uh, how can people listen to you? Uh, well, I'm on Florio FM uh, and I'm in my uh, 10th year now uh, on this program and uh, they tell me uh, it's got a big following. Um, the Florio FM uh, radio station uh, you can get it on www.florio, uh, F-L-E-U-R-I-E-U, F-M, uh, dot O-R-G dot A-U, all in small case. And uh, that will give you their website. And you can actually listen to my programs after I've done them for, they tell me, for up to a week uh, onwards. As a matter of fact, I'll be on radio again this uh, Tuesday. So you're just like us, John. You're available after after the you actually hear it as well. Thanks so much for joining us, John Stevens, horticulturalist and member of the Rare Fruit Society, which is a wonderful society, of course, to be a part of. So many people wanting to speak to you, John Lamb. We will get to Adrian, who's been very patiently holding in just a moment, and of course, we'll talk autumn colour with Brett Draper as well. This is Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. And don't forget, I have a couple of ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away in the program before 10 o'clock as well. Adrian from Woodcroft has got a question for John Lamb. You've got a problem with your passion fruit, Adrian. Yes, I planted it last year and it got a bountiful crop. And then on John's general advice, I trimmed it back this year. And it started to grow really well, and then it just up and died. That's not very nice of it. Is it mulch? I've cut it, I've cut it right down to a foot length right now on. to see if it will reshoot. When it died, did it die quickly, say over a week, or did it sort of slowly die over a number of weeks? No, over a week. It just up and died. Righto. Is it mulch, and is the mulch around the base of the plant? Yep. It is mulched. Yep, okay. it's in very good soil. <laughs> yeah, okay. Now, we'll get down on hands and knees and have a look at where the mulch is touching the plant. One of the Achilles heels of passion fruit, they are very susceptible to a fungal disease called colorot. Colorot, obviously, goes around the collar of the tree. So uh, at ground level, if the ground is moist and uh, is kept moist because the, mo- the mulch is touching the, uh, uh, the uh, stem, you'll find that it develops a colorot very, very, very quickly. And so uh, it's tremendously important when you're mulching any plant, but particularly passion fruit, that you leave maybe a good 10 or 15 centimetres away from the stem of the plant and I would suspect that the reason for it to die fairly quickly is that the colorot 
has gone round the stem and at that stage you get a hot day and of course there's no sap going into the leaves and so it dies. It could be that uh, it's died because you forgot to water it or something like that, but I don't think no, that's... No, it's been that, watered. That's right, yeah. I think you're a good gardener, and I would suspect that if you get down and have a look and just scrape away at the bottom two centimetres and see whether uh, the bark is dead, and if it is, that's what it is. If it's not dead there, <laughs> you'll have to ring again because <laughs> uh, that's the only reason why it would die so quickly for a young plant. So should I just pull it out and put in a new one? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And next time, when you mulch, make sure it nicely mulch, but keep the mulch away from the stem. Thanks, Adrian. Really appreciate the call. Cher is in Colonel Light Gardens. Your tomatoes are still green, Cher. Yes. Good morning, Deb, and good morning, John. Um, John, I've got raised garden beds, and I grow tomatoes every year. I usually have a bumper crop. I've still got a bumper crop, but I've got a lot of uh, cherry tomatoes and Roma ones, but the very big ones, they've been green for weeks <laughs> and I just can't get them to go red. I laugh and I shouldn't laugh because the problem that is facing you, Cher, is one that's being shared by many people and uh, the crops are just... Uh, they, they, they set their... The flowers formed, they set their fruit, they started to grow, and then they slowed down. And that's, I won't say a mystery, but it's a lot to do with temperatures and the fact that uh, uh, the tree, uh, the, the plants are probably getting enjoying the milder weather, and, and so they're in growth mode, and probably a lot of the energy is going into producing new growth rather than ripening the fruit. Um, there could be other uh, weather factors at, at play. I would suggest that you get uh, a foliar fertilizer. Uh, or no, in fact, go and buy a little packet of sulfate of a, a sulfate of potash. Um, right. Or, okay. or or just get a foliar fertilizer that's for fruit. And you'll find right. if you spray that onto the leaves, that uh, maybe just uh, give it a little potash kick and help it to sort of get over the hump that it's suffering at the moment. Yeah, it must be. Some of them have been there for months, a couple of months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's so very annoying. Very, yeah, and uh, maybe we can talk to uh, Dominic Cavallaro um, and see what he thinks about it. Uh, yeah, he's exactly. One he's of the a, commercial agronomists. He's a font of knowledge. Thanks, Cher, for the call. We're speaking to Brett Draper about some autumn colour in just a moment. But now we've got a couple of ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away. If you haven't won anything from ABC Radio Adelaide in the last month and you would like a copy, please call in now on 1300 2891. This is Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Over the past two weeks, the focus has very much been on fruit and vegetables and why don't you put in a late crop of vegetables has been the theme, but there are many people that just like colour in their garden. So let's take a look at some colour now that will last through autumn. The person who can help us with that is Brett Draper. Sits in the chair for me many times and also manages one of our major garden centres. Good morning to you, Brett. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb. So, uh, <laughs> I like making it not too easy for you. You've got to select only two plants, one for the sun area and one for the shade area. And what we're looking for is something that will give you instant colour, but will keep on with the colour well into the end of autumn. So take it away with sunshine. OK, for sunshine, John, I would be looking at Mandevilla. Uh, there's lots of Mandevillas on the market um, and they're a lovely... Uh, sun-hardy plant that come in a range of colours, but uh, pinks, uh, reds and whites. And you can get them in a climber. So you can get ones that will climb up a trellis, um, which, are, which are quite nice. And you can also get a small shrub form of them, which will grow to about 30 to 40 centimetres, which is just a nice little mounded shrub, which gets full of colour. Um, and they will continue to flower right through from now, right through until it starts to cool down, probably towards the end of autumn. 
Um, and uh, being perennial, you'll have them there and they'll start again for you next spring. So what you're saying, Brett, is not all mandevillas are the same. There are ones that want to climb up a post or a trellis and there are some very attractive ones which just want to be a shrub. That's right, John. There are, there's a series on the market called the Jade Series, which is a shrub uh, uh, variety. So it just has that sort of, you know, that, that, that 30 to 40 centimetre sort of mounted sort of habit that it will grow to. Um, and there's some lovely varieties in there. My favourite is actually a variety called Tourmaline Pink. That's a really lovely pink. Um, but uh, the, some of the reds are very stunning as well. Absolutely. And the, cl- yeah. and the climbers, there's a, there's a couple of different climbing varieties as well. There's the Aloha series, which is a variety that climbs. And there's also an Agatha series, which is a, 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 a climbing one. So if you look for the, if you want climbers, it's Agatha and uh, Aloha. And if you want a shrub, it's the Jade series. Wonderful. And can I suggest you buy one climbing uh, mandevilla and let it climb up. And at the base of it, you put a, a bush-growing mandevillia. And it's the, the effect is stunning. I've got one sunny little area in my backyard courtyard, and that's exactly what I've got is one brilliant red, right, bright, bright red going up, and the other one is going sideways. And uh, mm. I'd love to be able to put it on uh, the web. <laughs> well, take a photo, John. <laughs> yeah. we, we, we will post it. Okay, righto. Well, there we are. I didn't mean to interrupt you in full flight there, Brett, but Mandevillas, I think, are here, here for that one for a sunny area. Um, in the shade, what would you recommend? Ah, oh, look, John, there's, I think that a really good uh, choice for in the shade is your coleus. There is a, a wide range of coleus plants on the market, and at the moment they are looking absolutely spectacular. And they're not really grown for their flower. They don't really have something that's really spectacular in the terms of flower, but their foliage, colour and texture and shape is really, really spectacular. Um, And they do very well in a partly shaded situation um, where lots of plants won't. So if you're looking for colour in the shade, they're an excellent choice to do that. So if you've got a shady garden but a bit of sunshine, how much sun will they tolerate? Well, they'll, they'll, they probably prefer maybe just more of a dappled sun or a partly sunny spot. I wouldn't be putting them anywhere where they get afternoon sun. That would be just too strong for them. So probably maybe up to a couple of hours, but I probably wouldn't suggest too much more of direct sun. Yes, and they do grow so wonderfully. Uh, you need to main, name uh, some of your favourite varieties. Oh, look, there's, there's, there's quite a few, John, but a couple that are really striking at the moment, which I quite like, is a variety called henna on the market, which grows to about sort of 50, 60 centimetres. Um, and it's got a lovely uh, light green sort of centre to the leaf with a red underleaf, but really frilly edges. It's quite a, quite a, a, a striking uh, plant. And another one which is a little bit newer is uh, coleosaurus, which has got an interesting name. Um, Coleosaurus. As, as Coleosaurus. Co- Sounds co- like a dinosaur. Yeah, that's it right. There's Coleus with Saurus <laughs> at the end. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. Correct. Yeah, take it away. Yeah, and 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 look, if you, if you can imagine, you know, uh, like a, a a dinosaur sort of uh, skin, like a like a crocodile type skin, it's got that sort of pattern to the to the to the leaf, but it's got a bright green leaf with stunning. Um, sort of dark purple veining and it's and almost through the centre it's got this ultraviolet uh, uh, like lavender vein right down the centre it's really quite spectacular very very striking yes it's very vigorous and put two or three together in a group and it looks quite spectacular mm. uh, one yeah. more and I hope you're going to say a ruby <laughs> ruby road <laughs> oh well I my was well ruby road is one of them John I was actually going to say Kong red I actually like Kong red oh, I don't okay. know Take you a... know that one variety or not okay no go on um, but that's that's a lovely um, variety which has got a it's it's got quite a mounded um, habit when it grows. But it's it's a green edge um, which has got a burgundy centre in a, and, a, and a nice dark red vein down the middle of it. It looks like it's just got a this really nice splash of red through the centre of it, which is really spectacular. But I like it because it's a little bit short and it's got a sort of mounding habit to it, which is nice. Coleus, I think, have got great potential. I've got a collection of them, and I think, Deb, I wouldn't mind uh, towards uh, autumn. Uh, I review them each year, and I send that to the wholesalers and give them some feedback. And so we can get some um, Henna, Henna, the one that uh, uh, Brett mentioned, has been around for two or three years, and certainly it's, it's one of the few that keeps on keeping on, whereas a lot mm. of them, they come and they go. Brett, thank you very much for your information this morning. That's great.
You're, you're more than welcome and have a lovely day. Thank you. Same to you, Brett Draper, our Garden Centre Manager and sometime talkback gardener here on ABC Radio Adelaide. Thank you to Rose in Harndorf and Dorothy in Largs Bay who have won the ABC Gardening Australia magazines. Marlene is in Tanunda. You've got some stink bugs on your tomatoes, Marlene. Yes, good morning. Um, my husband grows fantastic and mighty red tomatoes and we were picking them before Christmas and I'm in the middle of making a big 16-pound batch of tomato spaghetti at the moment. But I've noticed stink bugs on them now and they're tricky little blighters and they run around behind the other, at the back of the tomato when I try to pick them off. Is there anything I can, some sort of organic spray for them? Thing that's organic, uh, that limits the options. Um, do you use or have you used neem oil? Neem oil, neem oil. Yeah, go and buy a little pottle, bottle of neem oil. It, it's uh, it's organic and it's a very, I won't say it's a very effective insecticide. It works on some insects and not on others. But I think you'd find that, uh, and it uh, will outstink, the, I won't say outstink the, the stink bugs, but it's got a, an odour which I think probably uh, the insects don't like. So neem oil, it's extremely expensive and a little bottle will probably last the rest of your life, but if you don't use it too often. <laughs> but it's a, a, a hand one to have in the garden if you're an organic gardener so give it a spray with neem oil um, otherwise you could maybe just get something like a vinegar a light vinegar uh, and water it down and uh, just uh, spray that over the uh, uh, the tomatoes and when you bring the tomatoes in and they're harvested just wash off the vinegar Okay, thank you, Marlene. I don't know if we can answer Kim's question quickly. Kim, you're wanting to transplant a mandarin tree in a barrel. Um, John, what advice can you give Kim? Yeah, okay. It's uh, probably with two weeks of relatively mild weather coming up, I'd say give it a go now. The important thing is uh, when you move it into its new container, keep it in the shade. I would keep it in the shade uh, where it's getting good, strong light, but no sunlight at all. And if you do that now, it's got two weeks to recover and re-establish a root system and also put on a, a drought, uh, an anti-transparent like drought shield. And that will, uh, again, just help re- reduce the likelihood of stress. But I think do it, if you're going to do it, do it now. Otherwise, hang off until probably end of February, early March. So you've got a good weekend job for you there, Kim. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks Thank very you so much. much. Thank you. Thank you for all of your calls. I'm sorry we couldn't get to all of our calls and texts this morning. We had so many of them, so much interest in fruit trees, John, and we covered uh, so much in that uh, particular area with John Stevens. I'm going to take your advice and go home and plant some cucumbers, zucchinis and tomatoes this weekend. Great. And I'm going to be potting up some more coleus, would you believe? <laughs> and uh, don't forget that next week it's the first Saturday of the month, so Darren Ray will come in. And when will it rain, I guess, will be question number one. We haven't had any rain since uh, the middle of November. And until next week, good gardening.